Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people and all kinds of people, really, but about how they make it happen, how they keep it going. Today, my guest is an actress and writer. Her name's Elizabeth Liang. I met her in my entrepreneur's course at the Actors Fund, and she is currently starring in her own one-woman show. It's called Alien Citizen, and it's at the Bootleg Theater. It's part of this special festival of one-woman shows. And I saw it uh, a couple weeks ago, and it's dynamite, and she's got one weekend left. So I love talking to her about um, her show, and it's about being a third-culture kid which is a term that I had never heard before. And she explains it all. And she's had quite an interesting life, especially her upbringing where she was living all over the world. Okay, but before we get to that, um, I want to extend an invitation to anyone in LA or nearby. Uh, This Sunday, the 19th of November, from 3 to 5.30, I'm having a launch party for my new LifeCast business. Uh, It's at the Gay and Lesbian Center's Village at Ed Gould Plaza in the courtyard there. And uh, if you're around, if you're in town, come and celebrate. We're having desserts. Um, My friend Stephen Lee is making some tasting concoctions. Um, And, yeah, we're going to launch this baby and uh, try to get the word out and have some fun. And um, that's it. Yeah. So if you're in town, come to that. Um, I also would love to encourage you to check out uh, DennisAnyone.net. There you can see some of the pictures that go with different podcasts and uh you can email me you can donate to my virtual tip jar which i really appreciate it helps me cover the expenses of doing the podcast and um i really appreciate it um i think that's all the plugs that's all i'm gonna plug i'm gonna i'm gonna freeze with the plugs alex um uh so um enjoy elizabeth liang Hey, I'm coming to you from beautiful Hancock Parkish area. Is that Ish. about right? Ish. <laughs> uh, it's a lovely day. I'm here with today's guest, Elizabeth Liang, also known as Lisa. Um, I know her because we were in a group together at the Actors Fund, the Entrepreneurs Group, and you have a show that you've written and you star in called Alien Citizen and Earth Odyssey that's been playing for several weeks here in Los Angeles. And you've got one more weekend. I do. I have two more shows, uh, Friday at 7.30 and Sunday at uh, 1 p.m. That's the uh, 17th and 19th of November, and I'm very excited because audiences have been growing. That's great. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, um, you're part of a festival of three different shows at the Bootleg Theater, and it's kind of like a big deal. Like, when you got that, were you like, okay, I've got a I gotta rally the troops and uh, that, yes, <laughs> it's a big deal. It is a big deal because I, I opened the show here in LA uh, four and a half years ago, and um, so I had a five week run. And then I've been very fortunate with the show. It has been to eleven states in the U.S. and it's been uh, to six countries, including the U.S. But opening it again in LA when you've already had all your supporters come out four right. and a half years ago, yeah, as part of a festival with two kick ass one woman shows. Christina Wong's The Wong Street Journal and Valerie Hager's Naked in Alaska, which are tremendous shows. Suddenly, I, I, I couldn't rest on my laurels and I couldn't be like, well, I don't know, people will just come. I have been busting my butt, pulling people in. Just, it's been working. You're wearing like a sandwich board like outside exactly of a thing right. and with the spinning sign. I mean, I literally start emails to people saying, I'm sorry, I'm doing it again. Please. Right. <laughs> well, I got to see it. It's so terrific. Uh, it's about your experience as a third third culture kid, Correct. which is a term that I hadn't heard before. So explain to the listeners what a third culture 
third culture kid is. Okay, and, and the, the, the definition keeps evolving, but the one that I tend to go with is, is the one that says a third culture kid is someone who spent a significant part of their childhood outside of their parents' culture and incorporates all of the cultures they've lived in and or been uh, influenced by into their life experience, but they don't have a feeling of belonging or uh, a feeling of ownership in any culture. And the feeling of belonging comes from other people who have had cross-cultural or intercultural childhoods or who have just similar um, interests. But it doesn't come... The feeling of belonging does not come from place. Yeah. And you grew up all over the place. And these are the ones I remember from the show. Tell me if I forget any. Guatemala. Yep. Costa Rica. Morocco. Yep. Cairo. Egypt, yeah. Egypt. uh, um, Connecticut. Uh Uh-huh. Panama? Yep. Did I miss any? You got them. You got got them all. Okay. So where were you born? Guatemala. Guatemala. And that's where my dad's side of the family is from. And and what citizenship do you have? Do you have dual? I have both. I have dual citizenship. um, So I have two passports. And um, although I have to renew the Guatemalan one, and now they're doing things differently. So we're going to see how that goes. This is a whole new process. (laughs) What comes in handy about having a Guatemalan passport? Um, Just when I go and visit family, boom, you go right in. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, where did you go to high school? That was Egypt. Four years Egypt. in Egypt. Was yeah. it your full high school sort full of career? Full high school. I was very lucky. Yeah, all four years. Yeah. Was there an Egyptian prom? There was a prom. It was an American international school. So the, def- yeah. the Egyptian school students did go. Right. <laughs> it's such a wild way to grow up. Um, so you, you were born in Guatemala. You left there. How old were you? I was only a year old. Yeah. And my dad worked for Xerox. And they, they are the ones who moved us everywhere because corporations are just like the foreign service or the military or religious missions, they move families around. So, yeah. And uh, I understand that this show came out of an essay that you first wrote. Right. Tell I me about that. I have been wanting to write a solo show for a long time and just shied away from it and gotten busy and, you know, distracted myself. And then my brother sent me this email saying they're looking for essays about growing up in different countries. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll... I've been wanting to write a solo show, so what I'll do is write an essay about creating a solo show, and that will force me to create the solo show. I like that. I sometimes do weird things that give me this weird deadline, yep. so I have to yep. do it. That is the only way it could have happened. Yeah. And it's so the, the quote-unquote excerpts of the solo show in that essay are just the first things I ever wrote for the solo show. Right. Most of which did not make it into the final draft. And how was the essay received? Did you hear from people I that got read published. It? I got published. It was published in the anthology that I submitted to, to and it was called, it's called a Writing Out of Limbo, International Childhoods, uh, Global Nomads, and Third Culture Kids. Global Nomads and Third Culture Kids. I yeah. love, that's catchy. you yeah. got to have that catchy subtitle to bring people in. You're right. What came out of the essay? Did, did people reach out to you and say... I, I related to that, or did you go like, okay, I did this, I can make a show out of it now? Yeah, that's mostly what happened. I mean, it was nice because I, I knew who the other authors were because the editors sort of kept us connected, so it was nice. I made connections with authors who then saw the show, like at conferences, right. and loved it, and then they became my greatest supporters, so whenever I do the show, they're, they blast it on Twitter or, or Facebook, which is great. Yeah. And um, and yes, once I had the essay out, I was like, well, now I have to have a show. Yeah. Because people are going to call me a liar otherwise. Right. So I wrote the thing. There you go. Um, <laughs> had you done a one-person show before? I had not, and it was petrifying. What struck me as I was watching it, and your performance is so good, but as a one-person show, you're responsible for everything. Yeah. So if the sound... Q doesn't go at the exact right time. Yeah. 
not only is it unfortunate for you as, as a performer, but it sort of feels like it's your fault, even though maybe there's a person in the booth. You know what? Right, Everything right, yeah. feels like it's your yes. responsibility. Yes. And, and in fact, it is, because if a sound cue is off, it's usually not the booth. It's, it's that I've changed the timing a tiny bit, and they yeah. weren't ready for it. Right. <laughs> so it is your fault. <laughs> so everything feels like your fault. And what I wonder about that is, are you able to lose yourself in the performance? Or how are you able to go where you need to go as an actor? Because I found your performance really compelling and sweet and funny and all the things you want it to be. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's just practice, honestly. The first few times I did it, I was a deer in headlights. Even though we'd been rehearsing it for a month, even though I had been rewriting and workshopping it for a few years, like I thought, well, I'm ready. And then the first time you're waiting in the wings and you realize there's no one to talk to. Yeah. You are the cast. Yeah. <laughs> it's all on you. Yeah. It dawns on you. You've made a really stupid mistake. Right. And then you have to go out there and do it. And what happened to me and what's happened to so many solo performers I've talked to is that it's a machine. If you've rehearsed it enough, if you've worked on it enough... That show is going to come out of you no matter what. Even if your brain is over to the left thinking, what's happening? Oh, my God, right. I'm going to die. And then you do that enough times and you learn to give pauses that allow the audience to respond and laugh or chuckle or breathe. Right. And then pretty soon, it, but it took me a long time it's to doing it and doing it and doing That's it. That's literally all it is. Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment in the show or does it change? It changes. It changes. I used to have a favorite line, which I, I won't. I can say it without spoiling the whole thing, but sure. one of my favorite lines was for a long time, I want to like it here. Yeah. Because that meant a lot. Yeah. That and that's probably it. what you thought every place you went. Yeah. That's wild. Um, have you been watching the other women's shows while you I have there? Saw, I saw both their opening nights. They are kick-ass. Yeah. Christina Wong's show is very funny and smart, and uh, Valerie Hager's is heartbreaking and raw, and, and they're both just completely compelling. That's so good. Um, what about the sound effects and stuff? Because how do you build that in? Because there's like little moments that are very quick and very subtle and then you move right on. And yeah. like, what is that process? That's the sound designer. I had a great yeah. sound designer for the original production named Dennis Yen, um, who right. I highly recommend. And then my husband came in and helped and tweaked some sounds and added stuff um, when we started touring. And they just talk with the director and they're like, what do you think about this? Like, how about that? And she'll, and she'll have ideas and I'll sort of raise my hand and be like, I think it would be nice if we could have, you know, a car right. coming around the corner. <laughs> right. Whatever the sound is. You have a George Michael moment, a wham <laughs> moment. That's right. It's Thank over. you for picking that up. It's over before it even gets off the ground, but it, it right. still lands. It's <laughs> still you. there for us. I'm so happy you said that. Thank you. <laughs> um, watching your show, I was thinking about other actors that I had read about or interviewed or whatever that had moved around a lot. And became actors. Do you think yeah. there might be a connection to wanting to perform and, and having this kind of a childhood? Absolutely. We are so ubiquitous. I mean, it's, it's because we are chameleons, right? You have to keep adapting to other people and, and change, learning what the rules are and changing your own behavior. Right. Without being obvious about it, you're just naturally, instinctively becoming incredibly observant. You just become an assessor of situations and of human behavior very quickly. And then you adapt. It's like you're casing the joint, and the joint is a country. That's exactly right. You're casing the (laughs) joint, the joint is country, and you're the spy who has to act like you're from there. Right. That's how it is. So you become an actor in life. So, of course, Viggo Mortensen. Of right. course, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Kathleen Turner, Kathleen I feel like. Kathleen Turner. Right? So many. A lot of army so brats. Army brats, yeah. Tons of them. Do army brats and... 
third culture kids, are they kind of similar or are yes, they, yes. Do they, is there an overlap? Yeah, the third culture kid covers all of us. So the yeah. third culture kids are missionary kids, military brats, foreign service kids, business brats, kids of international educators, people who just like to go to different countries and teach at this high school or that middle school and they yeah. take their kids with them. Does your dad work for Xerox? He did. Did. You, did you get free stuff like paper, reams of paper? No. Free toner? Because no. toner is so expensive. You know what? I think we might have gotten a free personal computer or more likely in a tremendous discount. <laughs> yeah. There you go. When, when it would be time to move again, could you tell that it was about to happen? Would you, you, you know what I no. mean? Because getting the news, I suppose, from your parents... It nope, just never, happened. Never had any idea. Never. Yeah. It was just always, and uh, apparently, uh, uh, I'm sorry to say, Xerox broke every contract. Yeah. So when they said, this time you're going to be there forever, we weren't, or this time you're only going to be there for a year, it would be four, or this, like, it was just always a shock. Um, I remember in your show, you would go to Connecticut, and I think as an American, I would think like, ah, but <laughs> a lot of your other places seem a lot more fun or better right yeah it was uh, do you I mean, rank them in your head or, or do they all just have their pluses and minuses they all have their pluses and minuses although i i was happiest in panama but that's age related i was six to ten those are that's a good that's, age that's, that's before yeah right? you're you old know? enough to have fun but you're not right old enough to right. be thinking about teenage stuff and the hormones of adolescence haven't hit you and i did i developed early so i was in puberty by the time we left but at least i had been there i had my friends like i was established as it were yeah and then, yeah, that, that move, which was the second time we went to, we lived in a, a town in Fairfield County, Connecticut. I love Connecticut. Fairfield County, <clears throat> I feel differently about. Right. Um, What's uh, it like? Is it, like, it's, rural? It's, and it's, No, 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 no. It's tab, it's tab, it's upper crust and right. very, very, you know, suburban, right. uh, wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. Right. Um, waspy. Waspy. And, yeah. Know, segregated to the point that the black, the African-American girls in my class were bussed in from out of town. Wow. From Bridgeport. Because there were no African-Americans in all of Westport. They, that's crazy. <laughs> Where was the worst goodbye? The hardest goodbye? Probably a tie between Panama and Egypt because I was at both of those countries for four years. It's a long time. So that's a long time. That's although because we I was still young when we left Panama, it was terrible to leave my best friend who I adored, Susie Abel. Um, but uh, it was also exciting. It was like oh. Especially because it was the USA. Even yeah. though it was the second time we were living there. The USA is like the popular and rich kid. It's, right. It's all the things. Right. It's the popular rich kid with the best house and the pool and the greatest parties kind of thing in your head. Yeah. Especially if you're an international Merkin expat. That's kind of the 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 mythology. Right. So, yay, we're going to go. There was USA. a USA. Like, yeah, yes. USA. And then you get there. Just like, like the movies. It's going to be exactly. like the movies. Like, oh, no, no. It's, it's going to be like a John Hughes movie. Right. Which, think Even about it, those Chicago. are very painful. They are. They come to think of it, they are. You go, there's a lot of growing pains. There's, there's a lot, lot of, you know, there's a lot and, of tough know, stuff. There's a lot of tough stuff in those movies. And, and they, they don't represent everyone particularly well. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. Did you ever do this thing, I don't know if I would do this, where you're like, you're moving to a new place and you decide, I'm going to reinvent myself. Like, I'm, I'm going to be more outgoing this time. Oh, yeah. Or I'm going to dress like this. I'm going to have people call me another name. Like, did you, did you ever sort of reinvent Every yourself? time I would try to do that and fail miserably. <laughs> I remember What hearing, were some of your attempts? Oh, well, I was always, I was always like, this time I'm going to be cool. This time I'm going to be stylish. So, you know, yeah. go to the 
get you know a couple. Of I'm gonna get some outfits. cool clothes. Yeah. I'm gonna really try every day to yeah everything. Get a new haircut and you know try the new makeup. I really fell for all of that. Like I read what was back then called Young Miss magazine and then was of course I am. I wrote for them. You did. Yes. You may have read my articles. I may. I used have. to interview a lot of like soap hunks and stuff for oh YM, my god, which is perfect because I am a teenage girl at heart. So <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah, YM. Yeah. Oh, I. Swore by. I still kind of do my eye makeup the way I was I learned in YM in the eighties, which explains a lot about me. There but, you go. Um, I say do so do I. <laughs> I wrote like Leonardo DiCaprio from A to Z, and oh I had to find gosh. something with A and B, and you know this is right around <laughs> Titanic. Yep. So there Back you go. In the day, yeah. But and I was. I was. I was, I was I, no matter what, I was a misfit. I was just too self conscious for it to work. What. um Bits of pop culture do you remember from living in different places? Like, because you get movies later or different, or was that a part of the the the, life? the most the most uh, the best example of how we'd get it would be that we got to see Knots Landing in Egypt approximately four years after those episodes had aired in the states. Right, so we were so behind, but it was still the only thing in English on TV at that hour. Right. So you'd watch it. You were into Knots Landing. Right. We Knots Landing was good. Yeah, you had to give it a few episodes, but ultimately yeah. it was completely addictive. Yeah. Donna then, Mills. Yeah. yeah. Donna, yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> Julie Harris is one of the moms. I yeah. mean, like, good Lord. There's a lot of things going on in that cul-de-sac. A lot of things. Yeah. A lot of things. What? I'm going to go through the different countries. What smell makes you think of Guatemala? Oh, yeah. Wood fire burning, cooking tortillas, and frijoles. Oh, that sounds so good. What smell makes you think of Costa Rica? Oh, um, damp greenness. It's hard to describe. Um, cooler tropics, because you're higher, elevated, where my parents live. I love that. I just heard on a radio that the they did some kind of measurement for the happiest country in the world, Costa Rica. <laughs> That's right. Cause, and they said, you know, because the close-knit families, faith good climate, whatever, it was the happiest yeah. place. Does it surprise you? Or does that make sense? It doesn't. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah, people are in a pretty good mood. Yeah. What <laughs> smell makes you think of Morocco? Oh, couscous and lamb cooking. Oh, God. <gasps> Delicious. Pretty much anything, any, any food that smells good, any North African food that smells good makes me think of Morocco. And also, beautifully baked French pastries. I have never had more delectable French pastries in my life than in Casablanca, Morocco. Was there and just I've a place there? Was there a place there? Was there was a bakery there right next they to our grocery store. They just knew how to store. do it. I've never experienced anything like that in my life. Yeah. Oh, oh my mouth is watering just thinking about it. I know. It's, it sounds so good. Cairo, what, what does that smell like? Um, oh, or Cairo Egypt. smells like... Um, um, it actually smells a little bit like what I'm all saying, bus exhaust. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pollution. <laughs> I was there for like three days once. I worked on cruise ships and we got to go to Egypt and go to the pyramids. Yep, yep. We took a bus. But our bus broke, buses were breaking down constantly on this three days. <laughs> oh, no. There was a lot of waiting by the side of the row with flat tires and oh, stuff. No. But it was incredible to see the pyramids and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, there they are. Um, do you have a smell that makes you think of Connecticut? Yeah, um, that kind of a fall autumn leaves. So, mm, yeah. Nice, beautiful. Yeah. You should put out a uh, sell air fresheners in the lobby. That's right. But you do. That's you have right. a movie. You have a DVD. I do. I made a movie of the show, and it's now available. Yay! Who are you finding um, appreciates it? Are there are there organizations that that use it? And yeah, I mean, uh, I, I just started selling people? it. It's so far, it's been selling to individuals, and I hope to crack the international school market since they right. they booked the show show. You know, surely they'll 
for so much less. Yeah. Just buy the movie if they can't afford me. Um, Where have you gotten to go with the show? All over the place. All huh? over. I've gotten to go, yeah, 11 states in the U.S., mostly colleges and universities on the college circuit, a couple conferences, a couple uh, festivals. And then to uh, Panama, to international schools and the U.S. Embassy, Iceland, to a proper theater. I, lo- I want to go to Iceland. You got to go. Is it cool? Yeah, yeah it is cool. Cause it's, yeah. it's just like, because you, you just think, I, what is Iceland? And then yeah. you get there and you know immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and they all speak English beautifully. I love it. Um, and then Spain and South Africa to conferences. Which were and you performed at an embassy, you said. Yep, in Panama. Yeah, that must have been cool. It was. Did you feel, you know... Well, it was a little scary because all, everybody there was an adult who um, was the parent of a TCK or third culture kid. Right. And I was talking about some of the hard parts. Yeah, so, so they're a okay. guilt trip. Yeah, so they all needed me to sort of... They needed, like, a post-mortem afterwards to ask me questions. Like, one was like, should I just not move my kids? And I was like, no, 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 you can move your kids. You can move your kids. It's fine. It's just that you have to not expect them to bounce. You have to help them. Yeah. And you have to listen to them. And it has to be safe for them to express themselves. It just has to be. Yeah. If you want them to be okay when they're grown up. That's all. What does your family think of the show? They apparently love it. <laughs> um, I know that my pal, oh my God, they all came to see it uh, when I first opened it in L.A., and apparently they said that they just wept the first one because I was bringing back all these countries that they lived in with me. So it's yeah. also their story. Right. So for them, it was just like, oh my God, memory, memory, memory. Yeah. And I think for my parents, it was hard to hear about the hard parts for me. And then they came and saw it a second night and they laughed their heads off because they kind of like processed. Yeah. <laughs> Made peace with that. Made peace with that, you know. And uh, they've been really wonderfully supportive. I'm extremely lucky. Did they talk to you about any specific things, like things, stories that you tell in the in the play? And they... um, my dad said he he had no idea how. Well, by the time I moved to Egypt, that was the sixth move, and that was when I, I experienced what. It's not an official term, but I've heard it called transition fatigue. Yeah. Where I just shut down because my psyche couldn't anymore. Right. And it wasn't really so. It might not have even been that it was the sixth move. It might have been that the place we had just left. I'd fallen in love for the first time and gotten my heart broken. I'd oh, this was in pox. That was Morocco. Morocco. So I got you know I'd been through heartbreak. I'd right. the plague burst out on my entire body with the chicken pox. Like you know that's all just traumatic anyway. So maybe that's why by the time we got to Egypt, my psyche was done and was just not going to handle things very well. And my father was very sad to hear about that. He hadn't realized that I was having such a hard time that first year in Egypt. Um, but the, the ending of the play, you come around beautifully with your family. Yeah, yeah. And, and you talk about that, that that is home. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when people say to you, where's home, what do you think? Um, I say now, I say my husband. My husband's yeah. at home. And then whenever we visit my folks and my brother, that's home too. Yeah, but you don't say a place. No, no, that's a line in the show. The I'm not from point. a place. I'm from, I'm from people. That's lovely. It's so interesting. It's, I think there must be a lot of people that experience this, but has it been written about very much? Are there, is there sort of a, a canon of, of people talking about these things? There is now. Um, and, you know, we all wish that it had existed when we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a little bit of writing. There are, like, the people who are considered, like, the, the, the what do you call them, the pilgrims, the pioneers right. in the field, Norma McKay and uh, David C. Pollock and uh, Ruth Van Recken and... Others, um, but now there's a bunch. Now there's all these people getting their PhDs or their master's degrees on being a third culture kid, and people have published books and right. all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, if you were to have kids of your own, would you want them to see the world? Does it make you want to want to? I don't know. Appreciate the value of seeing different cultures. Yeah, I, w- I w- like. I don't have any plans. But I, I've never yeah. had the urge, so I'm not worried right. about it. But, but had I ever wanted kids, yeah, I, I, I don't know how we'd have done it, but I, I definitely know we would have had some kind of ritual to help with the transition process. Um, because I think that's 
key. Yeah. If you if you have some kind of ritual that sort of sets everyone, because we already had rituals at home. We always ate dinner together. My mother was adamant about that. So, and that was really helpful. And I know you. Have, how many siblings do you have? Just one. one. Just one. Yeah. You know, younger. Older. Older. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I would. I, I would want that. Even if we didn't move a lot, I would definitely want. I definitely want to get kids out of the one place. Yeah. I just would have to. What areas does having that background give you more confidence? Like if you're in a certain arena and you're like, oh, I got this. Yeah. I got this. Pretty much any international arena. If, if, if there's languages I'm hearing that I know and languages I don't know, I am perfectly comfortable. Right. <laughs> you know, any airport in the world and every TCK I know says is like we are most in terms of place. Yeah. In terms of environment, we are most at home at an airport. You can put us in any airport. We do not have to know the language. We do not have to know how to read the signs. We will figure that airport out. Right. It's fast. It's not a reason to panic or yeah, freak out there. At you, all. you got this. Oh, we just relax. Here we are. Here You'd be very good on The Amazing Race. I would. Yes. I would. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Uh, how, how many languages do you speak? Well, now I speak Spanish and English. Now yeah. I, you know, and um, I understand French still. And if I were to practice for a long time, I'd get back into it. But I've basically lost my, my Egyptian yeah. Arabic. I can read Arabic phonetically, but I don't know what I'm reading. Sure. So, yeah. You talk about in the play kind of a scary moment you had uh, yeah. in, early on in the play, actually. And it's, it's in Egypt, right? It's in Morocco. In yeah. Morocco. I'm, yeah, I'm waiting for my mom right outside the American Cultural Center in Casablanca. And you get... As a woman and girl, you get harassed incessantly by men on the sidewalks of the cities of the world. Just happens. That's yeah. just part of life. It's not good, um, but it happens. And Casablanca is no different. And um, for me, at least, it was every single man would harass me. And I passed two young men. And for the first time in my life, I talked back to them. Yeah. <clears throat> Cussing them out. Let them have it. Which was not the right thing to do in terms <laughs> of pragmatism. Right. <laughs> And luckily, um, my mom happened to be pulling around the corner at that moment in her car, and she pulled right up onto the sidewalk, off the curb and onto the sidewalk, and flew out of it. Where were they in relation to you at that point? At that point, uh, my, I, my back was against the wall, and they and were on either were, side, you know, in yeah. front of me, like I couldn't get away. Get and my sense. mom, like, I don't know how she did it, but yeah. suddenly she was between us. So, like, she put her body between mine and the two men. That's amazing. It was amazing. How old were you? At that point, I must have been 13. Wow. I was 13, yeah. When did you start to think about acting? It's like, this is something I'm into. I want to pursue this. I think it was around then because we were doing... My mom is an actress, too. She's an actress and a teacher and, a, and an editor, uh, writing editor. And um, she acted in every country we lived in, I think, almost. I she mean, would find some production Yeah, there was to either be community in? theater or there was professional theater. She worked professionally in Central America. Um, so... We were part of the community theater in Morocco, and I was doing plays there and starting to think, this might, this is fun. I think I can do this. What kind of plays were they? Were they things that and people had heard of, like musicals? that everyone... I was Humpty Dumpty in the okay. pantomime of wow. Humpty Dumpty the musical. Wow. You, were, you had the title character of Humpty Dumpty? I, I really feel like that's casting against type. Thank you. I would have thought, A, a man, and B, somebody... Bigger. Right, right. Yeah, no, there I was. Size. All, all 12 or 13 years did old. Did you have an egg costume and did it break apart? I should remember that and I don't. Right. I don't. You were the lead. That's all that matters. Exactly. I had my song. <laughs> I love the idea of your mother finding a show everywhere you went. Or yeah, the, yeah. The she, could find, she could find the theater immediately. But the expat communities are tend, tend to be pretty tight. So as soon as you're the new foreigner and if you're lucky enough to be married to the general man, you know, the boss in that country, which yeah. my dad usually was. 
then you're going to be introduced to the expat community pretty quickly. Yeah. So then you're going to find out where the, the community call, theater is. Theater is, and yeah. where the other things are that exactly. happen. Exactly. Um, when Facebook came along, did you find yourself reconnecting with a bunch of people in all these countries? And Yes, and it was insane. Because in, what, in what you way? learn as a third culture kid is every time you move, and they've done all these studies, it's like death. It literally is the, the, a similar process to losing someone to death. Right. So when that person who you haven't heard from in a quarter century finds you on Facebook, it's like they've come it's back like saying, from I'm the dead. I'm not dead. Yeah. It literally is. And you're just like, what? And then they're, they're 25 years older and they're not, you know, little anymore. And it's this grown person and it's just insane. So it's cool, but it's also weird. Yeah. <laughs> I would imagine. Have you reconnected face to face with any of them? Yep. There's yeah. a, yeah, yeah, a, a few. In fact, um. One flew from the Netherlands to see my show here in L.A. Uh, four and a half years ago, which was incredible. That's incredible. And you hadn't seen this person since? I hadn't seen her. She and I had actually kept in touch right on th- into college. So I'd seen her like my first year in college. Yeah. And then not for a long time. That's amazing. Yeah. Did you show her the town? Did you do it up, L.A. I style? I didn't. I was like, I am sorry. I yeah. am doing a solo show, and I am producing it as well, and I can do nothing but sleep. Yeah. You are welcome to go see the city, and you get a comp to the show. Yeah. Um, a lot of times in pop culture, people will make fun of one-woman shows or one-man one yep, shows. Yep, yep, yep. There's that sort of thing. Come oh, to yeah. my one-person show. How do yeah. you, as a person doing it and doing it really well, how do you sort of break down people's resistance if they have it. I learned from Christina Wong, you just harangue them to death. Just do it. Just get them there and then they'll thank you because they're exactly. going to have a great time. Exactly. Um, what's the craziest thing that's gone wrong for you on stage? Um, oh, God. Uh, it was during the first run in L.A. and the sound of, I can't remember if it was the sound of the photocopier or the sound of the sandstorm would not stop playing. So it just kept going. It started going. playing at the wrong time early yeah. on in the show and then just kept going for something like half an hour. So I'm kind of yelling the show. Also, the lights were wrong. I'm supposed to come out in the dark. The lights never went down. So I awkwardly came out in the light looking like an idiot. Right. Um, because I felt awkward. Right. Uh, um, just every pot, sound cues were off. Light was off. Everything was off. And I just thought, well, I'm just going to survive this thing. How aware of you are of the audience, of individual members of the audience? Do you go, you go, oh, there's something. The front row you're very aware of, and invariably the front row is the most fidgety. Invariably. You know as soon as you see the dude in the front row, you're like, oh, okay. There's my fidgeter. And he does. He does. Might be a good friend of yours. He might laugh and weep. He might tell you, oh, my God, it was great. But if he's in the front row, yeah, he's going to fidget. (laughs) What are the things about being a third culture kid that resonate with your life today like where you go oh this is i feel this way because of maybe because of that because i have things about i think we all do about when we're younger that that affect the way we engage with the world and maybe not always for the best where you're like right that's i'm carrying that with me i don't need to be like that i need to be more like this and i consciously make a shift yes oh, what are so the things where you so want to shift um like I say, and it, like one of the things that's very common among us third country kids is, is having a, a really irrational fear of conflict. Like just a really irrational fear like the sky will fall. It's yeah, like confrontation. confrontation. I can't. Like just can't. You're terrible. I've got to go with the flow. Right. I've exactly. got to go with the flow. Exactly. It's not, it, the problem's got to be me in some way because I'm just not following the rules right. And even yeah. if it's not me too bad, uh, it, I can't, I don't know how. I haven't right. ever done it. You know, you're just terrible at it. So we're really good at fleeing 
We're good at fleeing. We're good at dropping relationships that we should never drop. We're, we're good at some certain things that we really have to, as grown-ups, unlearn. Did writing the essay and working on the show and telling the show, does it, does it help you to do those things? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it really did. I would say doing, especially doing the show has been like the most, the greatest act. I say it's the greatest act of self-healing and self-respect I've ever, I've ever carried out for myself. I love that. I'm so, I'm so impressed and so proud of you. Thank you. What's something that's come out of it that surprised you? Like, who would have thought I would have gone to this place or done this? Yeah, yeah. I did want it to travel, but I never could have guessed. I never could have guessed I'd get to see Cape Town and Singapore. I just never could have guessed. Or, or, you know, Reykjavik. Like, really? Reykjavik? Are these opportunities that you are pursuing, you're researching online, you're sending whatever, or are they things where, oh, somebody heard about it and told a friend and... It's, it's both. It's either I'm pursuing it or somebody says, hey, Lisa, I think I know someone at, all right, you know, have you seen this? If you look at this. Yeah. So then I do. I'll just follow anything you send me. I'm, I'm very much like, sure, I'll try that. And the other thing I never expected, because my fear was the only people who are going to get this show and relate to this show are going to be third culture kids and multiracial or otherwise intercultural people. Right. You know, somebody who maybe has parents are immigrants or they speak more than one language at home or something like that. And it turns out, no, people, I've had people from Fairfield County. Yeah. I've had wasp males from Fairfield County come up and hug me and love the show. That's awesome. So that was just like, oh, it's been such a relief. Like, oh, okay. It's not as, it's not as niche as I feared. Yeah. No, I think it's very relatable and it's, it's uh, eye opening because I don't think if you, if you didn't grow up that way, you, you haven't really thought about it. Right. Right. In a very deep way in terms of what that must've been like. Right. Yeah. And it's different for everyone. I mean, there's, because the, the stereotype is, is, of course, that, that everybody goes to that famous Swiss boarding school where Candace Bergen went. And right. all they care about are George Ash jeans. Yeah. And, or back in the 80s, you know. And I'm sure that still exists, but that wasn't my experience. And then there's the missionary kids who grew up poor, truly poor. The money comes from, you know, the church that they have to beg to for donations from. And then they go to Uganda or you know, Ethiopia or whatever. And then they live really, really in, not in the cities, yeah. you know, but in the villages, the, in the quote unquote bush with the people like those, like the, the locals live. Yeah. And that's, that's immersive. Yeah. That's so then they time. go to college in Kansas city and no wonder they break down. <laughs> yeah. What was college like for you? It was hard at first. It was really hard because I went to Wellesley for two years before I transferred to Didn't Wesley. Hillary Clinton go there or am I crazy? Hillary did go to Wellesley. There you go. Um, and it was rough because at that time, um, it felt like fully half of the female population didn't, was misogynistic, just didn't like girls and women. So that was, I deliberately went there because I didn't want to deal with harassment anymore. Right. And I wasn't harassed, but I was surrounded by 50% young women like myself, but who didn't, didn't even want to be there. Yeah. They, like it was their second school, you know, they wanted to go to wherever, Harvard, yeah. and then they ended up. And then there were girls who absolutely loved being there and did not have the problem of misogyny, but it was, it was enough of them for it to be really, really rough. Yeah. Now, uh, you also audition for things and you, you do TV shows and, and things like that. Does having your own show that feels like yours, does it give you some ownership in this career that is such a uh, crapshoot for everybody? It 100% does. Yeah. I literally go into com- commercial auditions thinking... Nothing. Just like I'm going to Reykjavik. I don't need this. Yeah, honestly, like I'm going to have fun. And of course, I've booked more commercials in the last few years since the show opened than I had in all the preceding years. That's so good. <laughs> you, you know, we're in this entrepreneurs workshop 
together and I'm starting up this side business That's right. and I'm, I'm, I'm really into it. I'm focusing on it because I just have this feeling as once I can tell media, show business, all of that, I don't need it. Yeah. It'll happen for me yeah. better. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm kind of really like in this direction. I could, you know, it could all come crashing to a horrible end or something, but I really do feel like my job in relationship to show business and writing and any of that stuff is to say, I don't need you right now. I genuinely believe you're right, and that that is how it it happens. Yeah. I, at least for me, it certainly has, and it's it's a, it's a kind of like a surrendering. Yeah, not a giving up. It's it's, it's a it's different, different feeling. It's, it's a different, different feeling. Yes, and, and, and you're pursuing something you care about that like consumes you. <laughs> that is, you know, I, I, I all of these allegations coming out every day yeah. about these TV yeah. shows and all of these fucked up places to work, especially yeah. if you're a woman. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I, I'm trying to create my own thing. Yeah, where. There's pretty good energy around it, yeah. You know, so anyway, that's just no. It's true. It's like that. If you I'm look at the, the other two shows and the Solo Queens Fest, like this, this stuff keeps coming up. Like it's yeah. just you know, it's clear we're 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 making our own path. We're forging our own path. Because right. Why would we take these other terrible yeah. options? <laughs> what are the commercials that we can watch for you in? Are any of them out now? Or are they coming? I believe yes. I believe my U.S. Bank commercial is still uh, airing, in which I am a shop owner who puts down a huge sandwich board because it's my first day of work. What kind of shop, shop are you opening? It, it looks like it's one of those lovely gift shops. Of course, really cute things. <laughs> my friend uh, Aaron lives in New York and in Queens, near where she lives. Not Queens, Long Island. There was a store in her neighborhood called Things and Stuff. Oh, and I always great. thought that was the funniest great. name for a store. Yeah. Because, um, like, they don't just have things. They also have stuff. stuff. <laughs> and sometimes I've, it might be stuff and things. No, it's more, we have more things and stuff, so we uh-huh. should put things first. And then she <laughs> told me that Things and Stuff closed, and I'm really sad about that. Oh, I'm sad, too. Yeah. I wish it was Things and Stuff and more. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or something else, et cetera. Et cetera. It, <laughs> yeah, we just got to get everything in there. Um, what's been your favorite sort of on-camera gig that you've done? Oh, the West Wing was pretty awesome. Oh, how cool. What year were you doing it? I was in it in, long, long ago when I was 12. Uh, right. In 2001 and 2002, again, I got to work with Martin Sheen two of those times and with Allison Janney one of those times. and. They were wonderful. How many episodes did you do? I was in three. That's amazing. Yeah. What was your character? I was just called Staffer, but I, I yeah. spouted jargon. So if you ever hear Are my you voice, good at jargon spouting? I'm pretty good at jargon spouting. Yeah. I'm pretty That's good. That's good. In fact, so many people have told me, I saw you in West Wing, and then they say, well, actually, I heard you on the West Wing because I was in the kitchen, so then I came around the corner and caught the tail end of your yeah. jargon. And so you can kind of speak Sorkin. I can, yeah, yep, yeah, I That's can. That's cool. I can. Yeah. What was I reading recently... Or talking to somebody who just worked with Martin Sheen and said that he was the nicest. He is. He's just extraordinarily generous and kind and gives you anything you need because he's Martin Sheen. Yeah. So he he knows what he's doing. <laughs> and I've interviewed Allison Janney actually when she was working on that show and great. Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah. And that's a cool show to be in on. It was, yeah. That was the show that back then, because I had, I had so few credits... So people say, oh, you're an actor. Well, I've seen you anything. Which, how do you answer that? Like, because if you say, do you go to the movies? Do you go to independent films at festivals? No. Yeah. <laughs> do you go to the theater? No. In LA? Yeah. And I, so I would just say, well, I have a recurring role in the West Wing. And then there'd be this, <gasps> yeah. oh, 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 the West Wing. Oh my God, who do you play? Yeah, they would be into <laughs> that. Um, my favorite West Wing story is, 
I had a friend, Renee, who was the script supervisor on the show. Yay. Do you remember? I don't know. You probably don't remember. Probably, probably. But anyway, she probably came and She would chat with the director. Yeah, I, remember, yeah, yeah. I do remember. Anyway, um, I used to do kind of elaborate Christmas cards every year, whatever. So she got me on the set, and it was the year Gore and Bush... Uh, they, they they kept going back and forth who won it and then yes. went to the Supreme Court yes. and we didn't oh know God, who, the, the who the president was going to be. Yeah. And so I took a picture laying on the Oval Office carpet and did like a Time Magazine cover that was like, yep, I'm president. <laughs> and I got to do that on the set of The West Wing. Yes. She snuck me in there and let me take pictures in the Oval. That was pretty cool. That did, is cool, isn't it? Did you get you to go in, in the Oval? I did. My, my last episode was with the whole cast in the Oval and I was like, this looks real, you know? Oh, so that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I love The West Wing. It's so yes, good. Yes, it's a great show. All right. Um, I'm going to give you uh, some questions you picked from the observation deck now. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Have you ever written a fan letter or a fan email? Uh, yes, and I wanted to say my first fan letter was to Sylvester Stallone. I had just seen him in Rocky Three and fallen madly in love. He never wrote back. <laughs> but I still Not remember. surprised. <laughs> Stallone. Stallone. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's hard to believe, but yeah. not... No, I but, love that, because right? I thought you were going to say Jessica Lange, or, you know, like some... Uh, Geraldine Page. Right. No, 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 it was just a girl crush. Just girl crush on, <laughs> on Stallone from Rocky Three. Yeah. That was a good one. I love that. What article of clothing or accessory have you gotten the most comments on? My husband bought me a beautiful necklace with a charm on it that I guess is agate. In wow. A, it's a triangle, and every single time I wear it, people say, Oh, that's wonderful, that's beautiful, where'd you get it? I love that. It's beautiful. All right. Who was your most impactful teacher? Mrs. Goldman in the second grade in Panama at the International School of Balboa Elementary. She just loved me. and it Made you feel special. Made me feel special. And it was our first year in Panama. And that's when I really, really felt that I was smart because of her. Because of her. Yeah. That's so cool. You know, one teacher can make it, make such an enormous difference. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I I know it's one of the reasons I was happy in Panama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first year I had a teacher who loved me. All right. How can people find out about your show and your video? And uh, thank you. Yes, yeah. you can. The easiest way is go to aliencitizensoloshow.com and just click around. There's you know tabs for everything. You can also go to the Bootleg Theater Theater E R dot org and either do a search on Alien Citizen or a search on Solo Queens. We're this coming week, so you don't have to search very far. Right. It's your last weekend. Last weekend, Friday the seventeenth at seven thirty. Sunday the 19th at 1 p.m. And then the movie, again, AlienCitizenSoloShow.com. It's available on DVD. It will soon be available uh, streaming. And uh, I can send it anywhere in the world. It's at NTSC Region Zero, so you can play it on any DVD player. That, that's, it's, a, it's a third culture DVD. Exactly! You had to make sure of that. I did. That's I so did. cool. Have you been getting orders from sort of random places? I have. I mean, mostly the U.S., but I got one from Guatemala, so that was very exciting. That's cool. <laughs> Good for you. When you, you did, you just shoot the solo show, or like? Yes, we did. We did two days, um, tons and tons of takes. The first day without an audience at different angles, and then one take for an audience at different angles. So, uh, my fantastic professional editor, who also knows how to do special effects was able to make a really dynamic movie rather than a god-awful home video. Right. No, <laughs> you, you, play, which you, I could not sell. Right. You want to, you want it to feel like it's yeah. a different form. It's a different form. And you really gotta, he, you gotta put, you gotta, you gotta do all sorts of trickery and magic to make the audience stay with you. And he did it. He did it. Daniel Lawrence hired him. Was it a learning curve for you of like looking at it again and going, oh, this works on stage, but this needs to be like this for, yes. in other words, I'm sure you had to 
look at it with fresh eyes. I did have to look at it with fresh eyes, and, and what I had been told a thousand times was, like, you, you, you spark when you've got an audience for you. Yeah. Which I knew, but seeing the two different performances, it's not that the, the, the performance without audience was bad. It was, it, I can say, I believe, that it's good. It's just sober. Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a serious quality to it. And then when the audience is there laughing, you can just see I'm just sparked. I'm just like, da 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 Yeah. You know? That's so cool. All right, last question. Why do you act? Oh, because it's the um, safest way to express all the facets of oneself and all the facets that one doesn't have, but to explore them. Uh, I guess that's the sentence. It's the safest way to express and explore facets of the human psyche. I love that. I always say last question, and I always have more than one. This is a real last question. What do you hope people get from your show? Oh, um, that they are not alone. That the, all those things that they feared were odd or weird or unusual are very human. And that things they never thought they could have in common with anybody. Sure you do. Great way to end it. Congratulations. It's been a pleasure to talking to you, seeing Thank your show, you. and being in this group with you. Thank and you, uh, here's to many future adventures. Thank you. And same to you. I have great, great hopes and visions for you. Oh, thank you. Well, I got <laughs> mugs printed with my yes. logo. So there's that. <laughs> so that's already a win. That's right. All right. Bye. Thanks again to Elizabeth Liang. And uh, if you're in L.A., go check out her show, Alien Citizen. If not, you can check it out online. You can get the DVD, and you can see... What we talked about. All right, so this happened. I just came home from a screening of the gay movie Call Me By Your Name. Um, and it's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. It's set in Italy. Uh, it stars Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet, I think. I'm not sure. This kid is amazing, and he's in my two favorite movies of the year, I think, Lady Bird and Call Me By Your Name. Um, it's directed by an Italian named Luca something. I can't remember his last name. Um, and he directed a bigger splash, which I saw, I don't know, a couple years ago with Ray Fiennes and Tilda Swinton. And what he's good at is capturing sensual things on screen, whether it's touch or taste or smell, or you, you feel like his movies, you could just, you know, they're a feast for the senses in this really subtle, beautiful way. And it's, um, it's a wonderful gay love story. And I remember reading the novel probably about 10 years ago and, uh, really loving it. But I always remember the scene involving a peach. There's a scene involving a peach. So when I heard that this movie was getting made, um, I happened to be acquainted with one of the producers, Howard Rosenman, and when I saw that he was producing this movie, I said, oh, my God, you got you to have the peach scene. You, 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 you got to. And he said, yes, it was in the, you know, it was happening. So don't worry. The peach scene would make it. Um, and it did. And it worked. And it was marvelous. It reminded me of, I think it really captures what it's like to, to fall in love or have, a, have an affair for the first time and... I don't know. And then, and then, then I was working on cruise ships when I was in my twenties. So there was a lot of like, not a lot, but I, if I dated somebody or had a romance, there was always somebody leaving. So there was a lot of like, Oh, that was great. And then it was over and missing them. And I don't know. So this really reminded me of what it's like to, I don't know, to be in love and new and young and, 
uh, that it, that amazing moment where you've gotten together and you talk about what it was like before you got together with the other person. Like, oh, come on. I knew you were, you know, like all of that. How awesome is that? Anyway, I'm going to try to uh, do a podcast interview with Howard Rosenman because I have a lot of questions about the film. Um, but I encourage everyone to see it. So that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Maybe I'll see you at my launch party if you're in L.A. And join me next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. <laughs>